Right, so this is one of the easiest assignments that you can have, um, turning your Bibles uh, to Genesis 1, uh, even if you sometimes struggle to find the books that we're preaching through. Uh, this one is the easy one, basically just to open your Bible until you see words, and that will be where you want to be. Uh, we're starting in the very beginning, a very good place to start, uh, is what they say. Um, and so the book of Genesis, man, uh, as Keith read this morning, and by the way, um, if you want to start your morning devotional time with the band and Keith coming to read your morning scripture, we can make that available to you. Um, we're thinking about uh, making that an extension of our church ministry, right? <laughs> like show up at your house in your bedroom and um, that might be weird. But uh, anyways, there's something powerful about just hearing the word of God and allowing it to speak for itself. And, uh, and so as, we're, as I said earlier, we're, we're calling this the gospel in Genesis. We really want to look at um, how to better understand the gospel uh, by walking through the things that we see in the book of Genesis. And so the way that we want to start that out uh, this morning is just by thinking about that question. What is the gospel? What is this gospel that we're trying to understand and explore? And ultimately, we understand that the word gospel means good news. So it's the good news of Jesus Christ that we're proclaiming, uh, that we're seeking, that we're seeking to understand in greater detail. And so here at Riverside, if you attend one of our, of our membership classes or if you get into a longer discussion with one of our pastors, we're ultimately going to drive towards uh, an understanding of what the gospel is. We want all the members of our church to really understand the gospel and allow the gospel to be the thing that's driving their decisions and driving their lives. Um, and so uh, we found a resource that we found helpful. There was a book called What is the Gospel? We have it down in the resource room. But uh, essentially what it says is it takes all of the Bible to see the gospel unfold, that, that from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, God's, uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is revealed in fullness and in detail in his word. Uh, but as we look through his word, what we see are these kind of larger categories that help us to understand the elements of the gospel. And so we talk about five elements of the gospel. Uh, we talk about God, we talk about man, we talk about Jesus, we talk about our response, and then we talk about the kingdom. And so uh, when we look at God, the idea is that we want to understand who is God. Is there a God? If there is a God, what is his nature? What is he like? Um, and what we see in the Bible is that God is a good and loving creator, that he cares deeply for us, he created us, he loves us, um, and, uh, and that he is perfect, he is holy, he is righteous. There is no sin, there is no error. We never have to doubt God's motivations. We never have to doubt whether God is desiring what is good. He ultimately desires what is always right, what is always just, what is always good, and he is a loving Father who is full of grace and mercy. That's the picture of the Bible that we, that we see of, of God in the Bible. And, and so that brings us to man. Uh, men and women are created in the image of God, uh, we're, we're given this incredible uh, beauty where we're, we're able to create, we're able to mimic the, uh, some of the greater qualities of God, uh, but we also see that humankind, that mankind, has also been stained and marred by sin, that, uh, that sin has caused us to rebel against God, that we're all born with this, this, this sin nature that causes us to pull away and to separate from a perfect relationship with a perfect God. And so even though uh, we try hard and we try to be good and there's elements of us that reflect the nature of God, in our own strength, we can never restore that right relationship with our Creator, that we're, we're incapable of doing it on our own. And so up to this point, the gospel is bad news, right? There's a really good, awesome, loving God, and we're separated from Him by our sin. But that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. 
He lived a life with no sin, the only person to ever live with no sin at all, and yet he died a sinner's death on the cross. He died the death that you and I deserve on the cross so that we could receive the reward that he truly deserved. Forgiveness, uh, restoration to be adopted as sons and daughters of the king, uh, to spend eternal uh, glory in heaven with God the Father. He restored that relationship by taking our punishment on the cross. And so this is incredibly good news. That's why we call it the good news, that that relationship is restored by Jesus. Now, the question is, how do we enter into that relationship? How do we receive it? Is it like, you guys remember a couple years ago when iTunes just decided they were giving everybody the brand new U2 album, whether you wanted it or not, and it just showed up in there, and the cover was kind of weird, and so every time I pulled it up, I was like, what is, right? Um, the gospel is not like that. The, the, the salvation that Jesus bought for us is not just applied whether you want it or not. We actually enter into that salvation through faith and repentance. And so we place our faith in Jesus. The Bible says, if you look through the Bible, the demons right off the bat were always like, oh, here comes the Son of God, right? The demons knew who Jesus was. So, so faith in Jesus doesn't just mean believing that he's the Son of God. It's, it's believing upon him for your salvation. It's believing that his sacrifice was sufficient to purchase your salvation and that because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can spend eternity with God despite your brokenness, despite your sin, that you can be forgiven, that you can be loved, that you can be redeemed. It says that he will set our sins as far away as the east is from the west. And you say, yes, I believe that. I'm putting all my eggs in, the basket, in that basket. That's what I'm counting on. When I stand before God, I won't tell him that I preach sermons at Riverside Church. I won't tell him about the old ladies that I helped across the street. I won't tell him. I'll say, I believe that you will accept me based on what Jesus has done. That's what it means to put our faith in Jesus. And, and the outward sign of that is repentance. When we, when we pursue satisfaction in, in drugs, in possession, in, in alcohol, in, uh, in sexual conquest, in any of these things, what we're really trying to do is to fill a hole that only God can fill. And so when we realize how powerful and wonderful and beautiful Jesus is, we say, I turn away from all those other things, those lesser things that promise but never deliver. I turn away from those, and I turn to Jesus, and I follow him. It's the act of repentance. Uh, it's, a, it's a sign. It's an outward sign of the faith that has, has come to be in your heart. And then ultimately, we end up at kingdom. A kingdom is a restored creation that is once again good and perfect, uh, it, it, it's a return to a world where there's no longer crying, there's no more sickness, there's no more death, that all that is wiped away, and God restores creation to the way that he originally created it, perfect without sin. And that's ultimately where we want to go. And so I hope as we talk about those elements of the gospel that you can see how many of those tie directly into Genesis chapter 1. So much of who God is and his identity, who we are as people, uh, God's perfect creation, all of those things are elements that we see reflected really clearly in this first book of the Bible. And so let's take a little bit of time. And, and the goal this morning, we're going to get into some things. We certainly don't have time to go through all the things that I would, I would love to dig into with you. Um, but what we're going to do is this. We're going to look at God's creation through the lens of the gospel. And we're going to say, how does this creation account help me to understand and appreciate and, and, and realize the value of the gospel in a more full and complete way. Uh, Logan set us up really well last week. He, he shared out of Hebrews uh, chapter 1, or chapter 11, and in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says this. It says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. That's what we sang this morning, right? Say the word, and there is light. Say, say, say the word. God, God spoke, and the universe came into existence. Uh, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
Ultimately, it's through faith that we read Genesis 1 and our spirit uh, affirms, yes, this is true, this is right, this is good, this is who God is, and this is what he has done. And so that's what we want to do uh, in the brief time that we have here uh, this morning. And so I want to just walk through some of the things. Uh, there's so many things that, that Christians uh, uh, can talk about and debate and try and interpret and try and understand and try and pull apart, and we'll get into that a little bit. But, but I want to begin by looking at the things that we can know with certainty are true from this passage. Um, and let's start at the very beginning. In the beginning, God. And so in those, in those few words, right, in four words, there's so much depth packed into that. Martin Lloyd-Jones probably preached three sermons off of those four words right there, right? Like, he's like one of my favorite pastors, and he will like, take two words and turn it into a sermon. I'm not that good, so I'm going to need a little bit more. But uh, in the beginning, God, right? In the beginning, uh, indicates that our universe, everything that we see, all the created things, that there was a specific point in time which it came into being. The universe has not always existed from time immemorial. It, it has not always been here, but there was actually a moment in time when the universe came into being, and science actually points to the same fact. When scientists look at it, they say, hey, there was a definitive moment where the universe came into being when it began. We recognize that that was the moment that God spoke it into existence, right? So in the beginning, when the universe was created, God. So there is God outside of creation as the creator, right? He's, he's not the same. We, everything we know, everything we experience is created. The people in this room are created beings. These chairs were created, right? The, the grass and the trees and the sun and the stars and our planet and the, and the ocean, all these things are created things. We're saturated in created things, but God is unlike any of those. God is the creator, and it sets him in a, in a different light than anything else that we can know or experience or imagine. And, and, and it really helps us to understand and resolve some of these things that sometimes we have a hard time processing. I know that it's wrong for me to bring glory to myself. It's wrong for me to puff up in pride and say, hey, everyone, come worship me. Look at how amazing I am. And yet when God says it, it's completely right for him to do it. And so we can look at it on one level and say, well, hey, isn't that, shouldn't, shouldn't truth be objective? If it's wrong for me, shouldn't it be wrong for God as well? Uh, well, the reality is, is, is truth is incredibly objective, um, but, but here's the deepest truth, that God is the only person in all of, all of what we know who is worthy of worship. Only God is worthy of worship, and so it, it would be wrong for me to ask people to worship me because I'm not the ultimate object who is worthy of worship. Only God deserves that, but for God to call us to worship anyone but him would be wrong. It would be wrong for him to draw our attentions and affections anywhere else. In the similar sense, we're told that our God is a jealous God, uh, that he loves us with a jealous love. He is jealous for our affections. And we say, well, isn't that a negative trait? Isn't it wrong for us to be jealous? Uh, for you or I, yes, it's, it's wrong for us to be jealous of someone's affections. But for God, he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to love any lesser thing more than we love him. It's out of his great love for us that he's jealous for our affections. He says, I want the best for you, and the best for you is to love me with all of your heart. That's, that's, that's the truth of God. And so when we think about the creator, we have to come with a sense of awe, a sense of reverence, right? My ways are not your ways, he says. My, my ways are higher than your ways. And so it's, it's impossible for us to comprehend and to understand all that God is and all that he has done. And so uh, I know this is not a great analogy, but, uh, but I'll share it anyways, right? Like my, uh, my daughters, 
decided about a quarter into the Super Bowl that they were suddenly really into football, right? All season, I've been inviting them to sit down and watch games with me. They never want to watch the games. They don't care about the Eagles. They don't care about anything. Uh, but they caught the, the momentum. They caught the joy, the emotion of the Super Bowl. They heard the Eagles fight song. They're like, like, I went in on this, right? So suddenly, you know, into the second quarter of the Super Bowl, they're sitting down like, Dad, why'd he do that? Dad, what is that? Dad, you know, um, and, you know, to the point where Zach Ertz, you know, goes across and he scores the touchdown and then the ball comes flying out and then he catches it again. And Chris Collinsworth is like, that's definitely not a touchdown. They're going to pull that back right over. And so my daughter's like, Dad, explain that to me. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> how can I explain possession and a football move and, uh, and the fact that the ball never touched the ground, but, um, but some foolish people would think it's not a touchdown, but we know that it is, right? Like, there's no way that I could explain all of that to them in that moment. And so I just told them little bits that they could understand, right? Like, hey, we're, we're, we're the team that's going that way. We're cheering for Nick Foles. When we score a touchdown, we start to sing, fly, Eagles, fly, right? That, these are the things that they could understand. All true, all accurate, um, but, but delivered in a way that they could get it and understand it. And I think there's an element, when we come to the creation story, we have to acknowledge it's true, it's accurate, uh, but it's delivered in a sense in which we can understand it, in which we can grasp it, in, way, in a way that created beings, going all the way back for thousands of years, would be able to hear it, understand it, and say, okay, yeah, I, I get it. I get, God, that you're the creator, that you existed outside of creation, that, that you made these things. In the beginning, before anything else, you were always. You have always been, right? I, I understand that you're good because it keeps saying over here again that you, you created it, and it was good, and it was good. There's things that we can know about the creator that he does reveal to us. And then there's a lot of mystery Let's just be honest, there's a lot of mystery in this passage that we can't definitively know everything about. And if we could, then we would be God, right? If we knew exactly how creation happened, if we had full knowledge, then we would be in a position to make it ourselves. I, I thank God that I worship a God who is so much greater than me that he does things that I can't understand, that, that go beyond my comprehension, that there, there's things that are above my pay grade, right? He tells me what I need to know, uh, but there's things that... that, that are just impossible for me to grasp as a creative being. And, and my hope is that when we go to heaven and we spend time with him eternity, that he's going to reveal more and more of that. And we're going to be able to understand it just a little bit better and be able to marvel even more at what he has done. It says that he created the heavens and the earth, all that is seen and unseen, the physical world around us, the spiritual world that it talks about angels and it talks about demons and it talks about, about uh, there, there's, a, there's a spiritual realm that we can't visually see, but that is part of God's creation. The angels are created beings. That Satan was a fallen angel. He's a created being. He's not equal with God. Uh, it's not like Star Wars where there's the force, there's this balance of good and evil that is constantly trying to attain uh, this, this perfect balance. That God is good. He is perfectly good. That Satan is a, is a powerful created being who is far inferior uh, to God. And, and the, the outcome is certain that God has already won the victory, that we don't have to view this as this eternal power struggle. We can see that God is ultimately victorious. We see in his power that he spoke creation into existence. It says over and over again, he spoke and it was so. He spoke and it was so. It was instantaneous. He spoke it into being. Uh, it's interesting when you read through the Gospels and you see all the miracles that Jesus did, right? He, Jesus fed the 5,000. He turned water into wine. Uh, he, he made uh, lepers healed and clean. He made blind men able to see. And the disciples were always like, oh, cool. That was awesome. That was good. Man, Jesus, you're cool. Way, way to go. Right? But the one time, uh, the miracle that seemed to really freak them out was when they were on the boat, right? They're going across the lake. 
And these are trained fishermen. They've been fishing their whole lives. They've been in boats their whole lives. They get out there, and a storm comes up that is so terrible that they are afraid for their lives. They're afraid they're going to die. And so they wake Jesus up, who's sleeping through the storm, and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus tells the wind and the waves to be still, and they're still, just like that. And the disciples are terrified. (laughs) The disciples are like, who is this guy? Like, who speaks to the waves and has them listen? That's a picture of who God is, right? He speaks, and it happens. Creation was good. It says over and over again, he made all these things, and it was good, and it was good. And on the sixth day, he said it was very good. And then on the seventh day, he he took time to rest and to enjoy his very good creation and to look at all that he had done, and it was good. That our God is a good creator. He has created a beautiful and wonderful planet uh, that we live on. Uh, last night, we, were, we got home a little bit late. We were doing some things, and we got out after 9 o'clock, and, and so we pulled into our driveway and got out, and there's a big open field kind of a high, beside our house, and, and I looked out, and, and it was just filled up with, we called them lightning bugs growing up. You might call them fireflies. You know, we can, we can sort that out later, right? But <laughs> this field just glowing with these insects, with these glowing beacons just lifting up, and it was just so incredibly beautiful. You just had to take a moment and just like, in awe and just like, wow, God, like your creation is beautiful. Thank you for making creation beautiful and thank you for making me a being that can look at it and appreciate your handiwork. As we look into the universe and the stars and the sky, we're just, we're just in awe of, of what God has made and what he has done. And, and, and we see snow-peaked mountains and we see beautiful, vast oceans and we see beautiful flowers and his creation and we look at all these things and that's why in Romans 1 it says that God is revealed through his creation so no one has an excuse to not recognize that God is uh, who he says he is that he's a good God that he's a creator God that that God has revealed himself through creation and anyone else if we look around we look and we and we see the beauty and that's where we get this idea of of intelligent design right you look at the wonder the creativity um the, the amazement of the universe around us, and we're just, uh, when you see something that's designed beautifully, the natural assumption is that there is a designer who made it. And the desire in your heart is like, I want to get to know that designer, right? You, you know, if you have a favorite band or a musician or somebody that you love listening to, you love listening to their music, and there's part of you that really wants to meet that person, right? Now, now why? Like, what is that going to do for you, right? You've already got the music, right? But the reality is, is you're like, I want to understand, like, what, what's a person like that can create something so beautiful like this? Like, who are they? What are they like? And there's an element in which God's creation draws us closer, and we want to know him more fully. Now, imagine you're, you're, you're walking out through the woods, and, uh, and you look down, and you see uh, this shiny, beautiful Rolex watch laying there, in the ground, right? And you pick it up and you look at it and you see the precision of the movement and the beauty. Um, how many of us would say, wow, I can't believe that by random chance this, the particles and the right things just came together to form this beautiful, perfect, functioning timepiece. How amazing is this that, that out of nature, like out of just random chance and happenstance that this came together, right? None of us would say that. We would look at it and say, wow, this is beautiful. Someone made this. Someone created this. Someone designed this. So that's the idea behind intelligent design, that when we look at the world, we can't help but say, some being far greater than I made all of this into being. 
And the beautiful thing that we know because we have his word is that, um, that he's not this distant being. He's not a distant watchmaker who set things into motion and then let it go. But he is he's a God of relationship. He's a God who wants to be known. Some of you have gone through really difficult seasons, difficult times, and you've come to know the closeness and the presence of God in a way that's real, that's tangible. That You can say, no, I, I know Jesus because he's walked with me through some things, right? That, that, that we have the ability to have a relationship with the one who made all that we see. We see in this description that God's creation was orderly. There was, a, there was a unique and specific order to what he did. God could have said, let the universe be, and it could have all been. But instead, he walked through in segments. He did it in portions. I think we have a chart up here, right? And so this is one of the many ways to kind of look at and think about uh, the, the, the depiction of the creation in the Bible, where it talks about on day one, he separated light and dark. On day two, he made sea and sky. On day three, he made fertile earth. And so he's creating environments. And then on day four, he filled the light and dark with lights of day and night. The sun, the moon, the stars were filled in there. On, on day five, he filled what he had made in, in day two. The sea and the sky were filled with fish and birds. And, and then ultimately, on day three, he made the fertile earth, and he filled it on day six with land animals and mankind. There's this, this order. There's this logic to what God is doing. It's actually what makes science possible, right? Science would be impossible without God's logic and order. Uh, if the universe was random and everything just happened by pure chance over and over again, there would be no point in scientists exploring things because if they said, how did this happen or why did this happen, the answer would be, it was random. It just happened, right? But, but there's order. There's, there's a specific way that things happen. There's intricacy. And over years, science has looked at, at things down to the molecular level and then the cellular level and, and the atomic level. And the deeper that we get, the more that we see God's beautiful and perfect design and creation in everything that is around us. He even made the, the trees in a way that they could reproduce, right? So he didn't have to continually do these miraculous acts of creation, but, but he created the trees with, with fruit that had seeds in that would, that would allow them to regenerate and to reproduce. And he made uh, animals and he made man that we could reproduce. And so God did amazing things. And then the crowning vision of his creation was that he made us in his image. Uh, that it makes it very clear in the creation account that the creation was going along, that God was making all these things. He was creating the earth for his glory. And sometimes we get this wrong, right? Sometimes we think God made the earth for us. We think that God made the earth for us to use and give it to us. But God made everything that he made for his glory. The stars in the universe, the sun, the moon, the plants, the animals are all made for God's glory. We were made for his glory. <laughs> he made us in his image, and then he gave us an assignment. He said, hey, I want you to take care of what I've created. I want you to, I want you to, to, to subdue it. I want you to, uh, to rule it, but it's not yours. It's mine. <laughs> it's stewardship, right? And so that plays into the way that we think about, okay, how do we treat this planet? Uh, is it ours just to, to, to trash and to destroy, or, or do we have a responsibility to care for what God created to bring him glory? Um, and so, so there, there's a moral implication that's tied into that. He created us different than all the other creations. He created us with the ability to have relationship with each other and with him, to commune with him, to be aware of him, to be self-aware. And so uh, there, there's a sense in which as created beings, we have more in common with an ant than we do with God because he's a creator and he's so different from us. But then there's another sense, because we have God's image, that there's this incredibly special relationship that we have with God um, that, that, that supersedes even the relationship that the angels have with God, that, that he created us in this really special way. 
And when he had done all of this, we're told that he rested. The significance of rest. Now, did God need to rest? Was he tired after doing these things? No, it, it was just another example of his, of his love and care and provision for us. He wanted to set the example for us that, um, that if all the earth was created for his glory and for his enjoyment, that we should take time to enjoy it too. We should follow the example that he set for us, that we should rest in recognition that God is the sustainer, God is the creator, that the work of our hands can wait for a day, and it's still going to be there when we go back to it the next time, but, but that we should follow his example of rest and, and, and look into creation in that way. And so God did all these things. He provided, we're told that he provided the plants for the animals and for, and for mankind to eat. He, he gave us provision. And so we see his servant leadership, even from the beginning, that he created this beautiful environment and he served us even though he was our Lord. And so there's so many powerful, beautiful things for us to grab out of this passage. And so then the question becomes, okay, I get all that. I see all that. I see the relationship to the gospel. I see God's good creation that will be restored. I see how good God is. I see his character. I see his nature. Um, but now I'm, I'm trying to process because everything that I'm looking at on TV tells me that, that the earth is hundreds of billions of years old and, or hundreds of millions of years old and the universe is billions of years old and, and that, that dinosaurs ruled uh, you know, hundreds of millions of years. And so how do, I, how do I square up what I see in science with what I see in the creation account uh, that we see in the Bible? And here's what I would say to you. Uh, there's two huge steps of faith that people have to choose between. Okay, on, on one side of it, we have faith that there is a creator God who designed our universe, who designed our world, who created everything, who created man in a special relationship with him, um, and, and, and who loves us and cares for us and sustains us. On the other hand, we have this step of faith that says there is no God, there is no creative power, there is, there is nothing, there is just random chance, and that, uh, that in a cold, distant universe, that, that the right elements came together in the right way at just the right time, and, uh, and they, they formed life, which became more and more complex and more and more complex, and it grew, and it, and it changed, and it changed kinds, and it changed in diversity, and it, and it grew and changed uh, in these incredible ways till we have the planet that we have today. What I want you to see is that both of those are huge steps of faith, but one acknowledges that it's a step of faith, and one claims absolute authority, right? Um, and, and so we have to look at the world around us and use science as a tool from God. And what I'm convinced of is that, that if we understood everything perfectly the way that God sees it, we would see absolute harmony between his word and what exists in the universe. Uh, but we live in a point in time where we have certain pieces of information and we're trying to process it the best way that we can. And so we have to come at it with a lot of humility. And so there's a wide range of positions that Christians adopt kind of in this from, from literal uh, six literal 24-hour days uh, up to an idea of sort of theistic evolution where God used evolution as a process uh, to, to bring about humanity. And what I would encourage you, I'm not going to push you into one camp or another today, but what I'm going to encourage you is that it's important for you to, to understand what you believe because there's theological implications. And um, if you're looking for a good resource, um, this is, so this is Grudem's Systematic Theology. Some of you guys are familiar with this book. Uh, this is an introduction to biblical doctrine, so it's not the whole thing. It's just an intro. And uh, man, there's a phenomenal chapter on here that gets into uh, the most widely held positions, into the pros and cons of each one, into the theological ramifications, into the scientific ramifications of what they, what they mean and what they believe. But no matter which position you adopt, there's going to be some mystery, there's going to be some things that you have to look at and say, man, I, I get it. I think this makes sense. I think this honors God. I think this holds true. But what I would encourage you to do is look at it like we're doing this morning through the lens of the gospel. 
If we believe that sin entered in by man and, and woman's choice to rebel against God, and as Scripture tells us that sickness and death entered in through one man, Adam, then, then to adopt a posture that, that has millions of years of death leading up to it, uh, those two things don't really square up, right? Like, how does that work with the gospel? And so, so you've got to answer that question. Like, if it, was, if it was random evolutionary process that developed us up to where we are, were, at what point was man's sin and rebellion, what did that bring in, right? And so there's a theological question that you've got to ask yourself there. Uh, on the other hand, if, if you've got six 24-hour days and you're, and you're saying like, hey, I'm, I'm just locked in on that. I think that that's the most literal uh, thing. And I'm not saying that you're wrong in doing that, but you have to deal with the thing of like, okay, so the grass was growing on the earth in day three before the sun and the moon and the stars were created in day four. And, and, and our, our concept of time, right, is really based on, on our, our planet uh, revolving uh, around the sun and spinning on its axis. Uh, and so what did time look like before the sun was there? <laughs> so so there's, uh, we have to come with some humility and say, hey, God, there's, there's things that I understand. I think your word is true. I know your word is true. Um, there's, there's parts of it that I'm, I'm trying to figure out and process. Um, but I believe that you are who you say you are. And I think that that opens the door for really wise conversation. And man, there are websites. There are articles. You can be very well informed on this, and you can have some really interesting opinions, and there's all kinds of things out there about, you know, is it possible that some of the things that we look at as constants, like is it possible that the speed of light is not actually a constant, but that it's, it's changed over time? Is it, is it slowing down as, as creation unfolds? There's, there's things about the assumptions that we make for, for radiometric dating and all that. I don't have time to go into all of it right now, but <laughs> there is a limitless supply of things that you can read and develop your own opinion, but as you do, I want you to Root it in the gospel. Make sure that what you believe about creation matches up with what you believe about salvation. And use that as your barometer.